Good evening, little masters, and welcome to episode 143 of the Prancing Pony podcast, which has not forgotten all its pride and dignity. Not yet, at any rate. What little of each there was in the first place, that is. <laughs> Quite true. But folks, go ahead and pull up a bench in the common room, and we'll be right there. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, who has never journeyed all alone for 110 days, Alan Sisto. Well, that's because I can drive, or or even fly, though I have to say, journeying all alone for 110 days doesn't sound so bad sometimes. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Nobody heard that at all. No. When you say you can fly, the first thing I can think of is, well, I've noticed you do not so much fly as plummet. <laughs> well said. But I suppose you probably meant in an airplane. Yeah, I did intend that particular meaning, yes. But you do have that tricked-out DeLorean to take us back in time. Oh, no. No, they said don't sing, man. They were right. I know. I know. And that's why I did it. That's what makes it fun. Uh, or funny. That's what yeah. makes it fun. Okay. I'm sorry to everyone out there. Back in time to something we recorded a few weeks ago. Well, today we're bringing you another new installment of The North Wing. Barlam and Butterbur had a room or two in The North Wing at the Prancing Pony Inn made special for Hobbits. Well, this is our place made special for some of our listeners to give us a chance to get to know them. Now, rooms at the North Wing are a little hard to come by these days, so only our patrons at the Elrond's Honorarium and Kierdan's Contribution Tiers are eligible. If you'd like to be one of the next patrons to join us, be sure to check out patreon.com slash Please do. We've got a waiting list for the North Wing right now, but we'll get to all of those fine folks soon, mm-hmm. and we'll make room for more if necessary. As best we can. <laughs> well then, why don't we welcome tonight's guest to the North Wing, Julie Thompson. Hello. Hi, Julie. How are you tonight? I'm good. Hello. Thank you for joining us. This is a wonderful, wonderful guest room you've got here. <laughs> <laughs> we try to keep it cozy. The finest in ales and teas and That's all the right. other good stuff. Nice fire blazing. <laughs> yes. And good company. Well, that's the idea, well, we hope. We we hope. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do our best. <laughs> we, yeah, exactly. We'll do our absolute best. Well, why don't we go ahead and get to know you a little bit, Julie. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? What do you do? And what do your loved ones think of all this Tolkien stuff you're so into? Do they think you're a total nerd? Do they dig it? That sort of thing. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I live right now in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I am a Lutheran pastor. I do primarily visitation, the sick and shut-ins and such, but I do Mm -hmm. preach and teach. I was born in Virginia. My dad was a university professor. I grew up mostly in Mississippi and Alabama. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Quite different from Minnesota. Yeah. (laughs) Quite different from Minnesota. There are several times during the year when I look out the window and think, what possessed me (laughs) to move north? But As a native Louisianan, I I can never get used to the winters up north. I just can't do it. I stay down here. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand the temptation. <laughs> so I actually was introduced to Tolkien uh, Christmas of 1977. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yes, my mother bought me the box set, The Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits, mm-hmm. the Houghton Mifflin set. Right. See, I think I was 11 that year, so I was a little bit young for them. And I remember looking at them and thinking, ooh, this doesn't look really good. <laughs> it's too many <laughs> words, just very strange. But yeah, I was also really bored because it was Christmas break, and I started mm. on The Hobbit and just never really came up for air. Mm. <laughs> That's yeah, wonderful. I know that feeling. Yeah. 
And my mother has said more than once that she made a big mistake. <laughs> she <should have laughs> She was going back and forth between the Lord of the Rings and uh, a jewelry making kit. And she should have gone with a jewelry making kit. Oh, that's awesome. So I have, a, I, I'm single. I have two adopted children. Oh, wow. Great. Wonderful. Yeah, I think, yeah Alan, we talked about that at Mythmood, I think. Oh, that's right. I remember Ooh. now. It, yeah. it took me a little bit. But no, yes, it's okay. You meet thousands of people, I'm sure. So, well, but yeah, I don't know about I, thousands, but. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, since they've been little, I've been reading to them from Lord of the Rings and watching movies yeah. with them and such. And mm-hmm. since they are teenagers, they are both just absolutely mortified that I'm into all this stuff. And I, oh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I can see them now. I think as teenagers, they'll probably be mortified by whatever we do, right? That's so. true. Exactly. That's true. Exactly. I, I take comfort from that. And I also take comfort from the fact that when they get older, they will return to their natural loves. <laughs> yes. We hope so, certainly. Yes. <laughs> Train up a child and all that, right? Yep. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. That was great. I really enjoyed that uh, that answer. That might have been one of our more entertaining sets of answers <laughs> for that opening question. Yeah. Well, the next question, Julie, that we ask everybody who comes to the Prancing Pony, including our all of our big name guests, uh, you kind of already answered is when and how did you first discover Tolkien's work? So we know that. Let's ask mm-hmm. a little bit about what your experience was like and why do you keep coming back? Oh, I I was so enraptured by the world building. Uh, you know, Middle Earth was a real place. It was really the first sort of adult book that I had ever read. Mm. And I can remember reading them on the school bus and sitting there and uh, just just being taken completely away. And this was when my dad was at Mississippi State. So I don't know, Sean, you've ever been to Starkville, Mississippi? I don't believe I have. No, I've been to many parts of Mississippi, but not there. Yeah. Well, it's a very lovely small town, but this is the days before bookstores were well scattered, shall we mm-hmm. say? Yeah. And there just and there wasn't a lot of stuff on TV, and my right. parents were very, very strict about not allowing me to watch more than half an hour of TV in any given day. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I just read those books over and over and over <laughs> again. And I was attracted, like I said, Middle Earth was a real place to me. I could see it so clearly. Our next door neighbor had uh, willow trees along the path in his backyard. Mm -hmm. Spent a lot Mm -hmm. of time playing under the willow trees and reenacting important scenes. They just sort of became part of me. And then uh, when I grew up, we moved a couple of more times. And every time we moved, there was one person who shared my love of it. And that was like an immediate bonding. I don't know if you've had experiences of moving around a lot as a child, mm-hmm. but it's hard sometimes, depending on the age, to fit in yeah. and to, to find people to be friends with. I mean, kids are clicky. That's just the way they are. <laughs> Aren't they? <laughs> yeah. But I always had at least one person who, who recognized my cryptic commentary about different things. And, you know, <laughs> You know, you know how it is. You throw out. It's a good out litmus little... test for new friends, isn't it? It, is. it really it's is. It really is. And, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, what a mess! All this flotsam and jetsam. There you <laughs> go. You can see how they respond. <laughs> I always had at least one person, and so it really became a very important part of the way that I, I dealt with, met people, and socialized and things. And so mm-hmm. it, it's been formative for me, I think. Yeah, that's great. And that it sounds like that's why you keep coming back. That that. Inner consistency mm-hmm. of reality, that that nature of the subcreation that is mm-hmm. just so, yeah, yeah, like you said, it's, it's real. 
It's real it in so real. many ways. Yeah, it is. And um, you know, if I can talk theologically for just a little bit, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I realize it's not a religion podcast. Well, no, but, that's you okay. know, we we can't avoid <laughs> yeah. it. You know, altogether, of course. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Please go ahead. All right. Well, Tolkien's Tolkien's talking about subcreation and the importance of like the, the how we are made in the image of the Creator and therefore mm-hmm. we are creative. Right. That has been really um, something that I've really worked with a lot as a pastor. Huh. And I find, as I know, I was going to be talking to you, right? So I've been thinking right. about what I could say about this, and I realized that I do a lot of visits to women who are older uh-huh. and who are maybe alone in the world. Yeah. And a lot of them do things, uh, various crafty things, you know, they mm-hmm. make stuff, they create things, they do stuff. Yeah. And they have been taught socially to denigrate that and to say, huh. oh, no, I'm just, you know, it's just something I threw together. Right. Like a six foot wide tapestry that took them eight years. <laughs> oh, I just threw it together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, you know, or I'll go in and I'll talk to somebody and I'll look around and I'll see, you know, here are all these beautiful things that you've made over the course of your life. Oh, you know, it's nothing. And so one of the things that I've found that I do with people is I talk to them about how creation, you know, we're made mm-hmm. in the image of the creator. This is a way that we reflect God and glorify God. Yeah. And it, it makes a big difference to people when they're able to think about something that they do as being part of their life with God. Mm-hmm. That's neat. That's great. Yeah. What, what an opportunity that yeah. is for you. And and mm-hmm. so true to Tolkien. I mean, when I think about something oh, like absolutely. Mythopoeia, you know. Yeah. Oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I I've never actually quoted Mythopoeia because I think that would be just one step too geeky. <laughs> <laughs> that might be it's too kind of narrow of a filter, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, it's like that's like most of my congregations would be like, "I we what on earth?" But, <laughs> yeah, but she's they do gone too far. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? But but oh, they goodness. do understand that you know, the talk about creation and creator and, you know, sub-creation. And so I've, mm-hmm. I've, that's been a really vibrant thing for yeah. my ministry yeah. with people. That's neat. That's fantastic. So moving on, Julie, I'd like to ask our next question here. Which is your favorite book in the Legendarium and why? And then I'd also like to ask, what's your favorite work by Tolkien that's not part of the Legendarium, if you have one? And I, I think now I might have some ideas what that might yeah. be. <laughs> it I'd might love be to hear your answer. <laughs> Oh, I might surprise you a little. My favorite book is The Fellowship. And mm-hmm. I I enjoy that so much. I think partly it is the world building. Mm. I've been participating in Corey's Exploring the Lord of the yes. Rings. Okay. Yeah. Which has just been phenomenal. Oh, and yeah. one of the things that I've it's really like brought clearly to my notice is the descriptive passages. And yeah. that book mm-hmm. is so full. Yes, it is. There's there's lovely descriptions at every turn that just make everything come to life. And yeah. it's, it's you know, they're walking into danger. They haven't quite gotten there yet. The worst things that are going to happen to them haven't happened. They're still full mm-hmm. of hope and happiness. You get to Rivendell. You know? yeah. 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 It's a beautiful before picture and also really it eases is. you into the world. Yeah. It does. It really yeah. does. And so I that's that's the book that I find myself reading, even if I... Don't read the whole trilogy sometimes, which of yeah. course I read the whole trilogy frequently, but sure. right. I find that I read sections of the fellowship quite frequently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For non-legendarium, actually, I have a real soft spot for Farmer Giles of Ham. Oh, yay. Yeah, why not? It's <laughs> a fun That's one. That's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Mythopoeia is great. Don't take me down, well, but sure. it is a fun, it is fun, and it was... Um, 
it was really the first place where I realized that Tolkien had a, had a real sense of humor. <laughs> yes, that, he does. Yeah. The dry comments that I had kind of yeah. like looked at, I was like, is that funny? It could be funny. And I realized, yeah, they really were funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The blunderbuss it, thing is just brilliant. It really dials in that British humor thing. It's it's great. It really does. So yeah, it's absolutely. you know not necessarily the greatest work of literature, but I really do have a soft spot for it. It is enjoyable, no doubt. Well, let's see. Our next question is: Do you have any Tolkien goals that you'd like to share with us? Tracking down maybe a special book for a collection, or or going to another moot, something like that. Well, let's see. I. I devote myself to moot attendances, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be going to Mythmoot. I make a point of going to the Midwest moots that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't have a local Tolkien society, but I've saved my pennies. I'm going to go to the one in Birmingham. Oh, you are. We're going to see you there. Mm-hmm. That's great. We'll see you yeah, there in August. That's great. Yeah. Yes, I, I promise not to stalk you or be all you weird about it. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay. But that's great. That, so yeah. now we're saying we'll see you there, but by the time this airs, we will have we seen will you. We will have there. seen you. Yeah. We will have so seen we get you, that yes, wonderful so, time yeah. travel issue again. That's great stuff. <laughs> oh, that's always fun. That's going to yeah. be good. We'll, we'll look forward to great. seeing you, or we will have enjoyed seeing you, as the case yeah. may be. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll go ahead and move on to our lightning round now. And these are going to be quick questions and quick answers, quick as we can make them. Quickish. And sure. Quickish. <laughs> we'll start with who's your favorite character in Lord of the Rings? Sam. All right. Can't argue with that one. <laughs> no, you really can't. <laughs> I could explain why, but everybody answers Sam, don't they? That's true. It's a well, who's your favorite elf from the first age? Oh, Elf from the First Age, I would say Idril. Oh, no. that's a very good choice. That's a good one. A very unique choice, too, I have to admit. Yeah. Favorite poem or song in the Legendarium? Um, I would say that my favorite is the Dwarf Song. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and I, I, mean, I mean, Gimli's Dwarf Song, not Thorin's Dwarf Song. Oh, yes, oh. of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you for that clarification. <laughs> Rivendell or Lorien? Rivendell. Agreed. Favorite author or book other than Tolkien? Ooh, let's see. Actually, um, I'm, I've got kind of a favorite that I've made me a little, it's called a book called Our Bones Lie Scattered. Hmm. And it's a nonfiction history of the Indian mutiny. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. All right. <laughs> I don't know cool. why, but it's That's niche, but that's that good. I... Yeah. Cool. That's yeah. why we ask. I'll look into that. Well, those are some great answers, Julie. We really do appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. We really have enjoyed having you here. Well, thank you for inviting me. And uh, I'm just going to head on out to the common room and enjoy <laughs> the company. Good idea. Well, I think it's time for all of us to head that way. We'll join the common room and the rest of the listeners here in just a moment. That's right. And thank you again, Julie. And hope to see you back at our next Questions After Nightfall, if you can make it, if not sooner. All right. Well, and now, folks, we'll return you to the podcast already in progress. And now we're back. But before we go on with the show, we actually should take a moment to say thank you to Julie for the introduction she gave us at Tolkien 2019. That's right, folks. If her voice sounded familiar to you, it may be because you heard her speaking at the beginning of episode 136 to start this season. That's right. And she gave mm-hmm. us a great introduction. She, she was really did. such a fantastic support mm-hmm. to us while we were out there in Birmingham. Big help. And, and so fun to hang out with. So, mm-hmm. Julie, thank Big you so much. Out. Thank you so much. And we do have one more thing before we get into our discussion. We have a um, 
correction. Amendment. Amendment. Yeah. Addendum. Addendum. Uh, mm-hmm. Proviso. Yeah. <laughs> Clarification. <laughs> A clarification. Back in episode 139, around the 56-minute mark, we were talking about that comment that Gandalf made to Frodo about those who have dwelt in the blessed realm. Right. You know, this was the whole mm-hmm. idea that they live at once in both worlds and against both the seen and the unseen, they have great power. Indeed. We try to make a list of all the elves that were around in the Third Age who had dwelt in the blessed realm. I think I said there aren't going to be very many. And then we listed out Glorfindel, Galadriel, and maybe Celeborn, depending on which version of his story you believe. Right. And we also advised you against Googling his original name. We thought that this was a very exclusive club. We did. And as it turns out, while the club isn't exactly accepting new membership applications, it's not quite as exclusive as we thought. Several of our listeners pointed out that actually probably many of the elves of Rivendell were among the exiled Noldor. Now, we don't know for sure, but when we see an elf like Gildor, who we know Mm -hmm. is of the House of Finrod, and therefore he's been around since the First Age, it's pretty likely that he probably came back with Finrod or somebody else from Finarfin's house from across the sea. Mm -hmm. And he's probably not the only one. No. Now, of course, we don't know any names that we can say with certainty we're in Amon, but it's certainly not fair for us to assume that there are only a few still around. So, uh, oops. Yeah, you know. It happens. We said it. Yeah. It happens. And now with that out of the way, we're finally going to take you back to the book. That's right, because we are all about the books here at the Prancing Pony Podcast. We are, and we do bring you other Tolkien stuff from time to time. But of course, you folks know by now that at heart, Alan and I are really fans of Tolkien's books and Mm -hmm. books about Tolkien. That's kind of our passion, obsession. Yeah. And as you know, we read a lot of books in preparation for the show every week. So if you'd like to get your hands on a book that we've mentioned, you're going to want to check out the official library page of our website, theprancingponypodcast.com, where we have links to every book we've ever mentioned on the show. And there's a lot of other stuff on our website, too. Show notes and book links specific to each episode, outtakes, Prancing Pony ponderings, and a few other little extras. And you'll also find a link to our new online storefront at teespring.com stores slash P-E-P. Mm-hmm. There you can find shirts, mugs, stickers, and other great Prancing Pony podcast gear as we get our designs up and running. So please check that out. And now let's get back to the Council of Elrond and see if they've managed to accomplish anything. Uh, we're going to start <laughs> way too early for that. Way but okay. too early. They're still introducing people. We yeah. really ended the last episode a lot earlier than we were intending to in terms of the text, but a lot later than we intended to, in, according to the clock. Must have been something to do with Corey's presence here, but we certainly aren't complaining and neither are you, I suspect. So I'm going to go ahead and pick up with Elrond and a little history lesson about the men of Numenor. In the north, after the war and the slaughter of the gladdened fields, the men of Westerness were diminished and their city of Anuminus beside Lake Evendim fell into ruin, and the heirs of Valandil removed and dwelt at Fornost on the high north downs, and that now too is desolate. Men call it Dead Men's Dyke, and they fear to tread there, for the folk of Arnor dwindled, and their foes devoured them, and their lordship passed, leaving only green mounds in the grassy hills. In the south the realm of Gondor long endured, and for a while its splendor grew, recalling somewhat of the might of Numenor ere it fell. High towers that people built, and strong places, and havens of many ships, and the winged crown of the kings of men was held in awe by folk of many tongues. Their chief city was Osgiliath, citadel of the stars through the midst of which the river flowed. And Minas Ithil they built, tower of the rising moon, eastward upon a shoulder of the mountains of shadow, and westward at the feet of the white mountains Minas Anor they made. Tower of the Setting Sun. 
There in the courts of the king grew a white tree, from the seed of that tree which Isildur brought over the deep waters. And the seed of that tree before came from Aresia, and before that out of the uttermost west in the day before days when the world was young. We dive right into the lore, don't we? Boy, you're not kidding. We just jump right in. Get on your hip waders. We're going yeah. in. And get used to it for the next few episodes, for the rest of this chapter at least. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Four more episodes. Yeah. I do want to make a, a, a quick note on uh, Elrond's mode of speech. We talked about this a little mm-hmm. bit last week. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And uh, this uh, this observation came from Tom Shippey. He said, um, Elrond's speech is strongly marked by archaism, in particular by unusual use of word order. And this is something that's that's meant to mark him out as somebody who's very old and very wise. Mm-hmm. Or at least very old. I mean, maybe that's why my sentences are sometimes of unusual use of word order. Same reason Yoda <laughs> talked with uh, unusual use of word yeah. order. I'm sure that's exactly what Pretty sure Tolkien got the idea from Empire Strikes Back. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, Sean. Oh, I people know I'm joking. I, Come on. I know. People I know, know I'm joking. Know. All right. So let's take a look at the the actual history. So we get, of course, the, the diminishment of the men of Westerness, mm-hmm. their chief city, Anuminous Falls, uh, the heirs of Valandil living at Fornas. Now, we're not going to talk about him yet. We will talk more about him later when Aragorn mentions it, but mm-hmm. I wanted to mention that. Yeah. Pretty big textual ruin for now, Philandil is. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, yeah, it's a very big textual ruin. Mm-hmm. And then we get that line, and their lordship passed. Now, that puts me in mind of that great line that was in the text and in the movie about Denethor talking about the, the house that's long bereft of lordship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We get a little bit a little bit later on with Boromir, too, and Boromir says, you know, mm-hmm. that the blood of Numenor is not totally waned, it's not totally gone, something like that. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, there's that subtle mention of the Barrow Downs, the Green Mounds and the Green Grassy Mounds Hills, and the Grassy Hills, yeah. Yeah. We talked about a few chapters back uh, yeah. in, in last season. So tell us a little bit about the South. Well, so in the South, we've got Gondor, and yeah. Gondor does recall somewhat the might of Numenor. We get a mm-hmm. little bit about its high towers, its strong places, right? Uh, its havens of many yeah. ships, and then all the the key cities. Yep, Osgiliath, mm-hmm. the city of citadel of the stars, I should say, was the chief city. And then uh, flanking it on either side, if you're looking at the map, was Minas Ithil and Minas Anor, and uh, and the white which would tree, later become which would later become Minas Morgul and Minas Tirith, respectively. Right, right. And then in Minas Anor, we've got the white tree, the tree that came from Aresia right. originally. Or the seed. Of- well, yeah, the seed came yeah. from Aresia. Mm-hmm. And I've got a quote from Otrapata, or Of the Rings of Power in the Third Age. You love saying that, don't you? I don't want to bring in. Who wouldn't like to say Otrapata? <laughs> I mean, really. It doesn't flow as easily as Spabimi, but it's still kind of nice. So anyway. The white tree was grown from the fruit of Nimloth the Fair that stood in the courts of the king at Armenelos in Numenor, ere Sauron burned it. And Nimloth was in its turn descended from the tree of Tyrion. That was an image of the eldest of trees, white Tilpyrion, which Yavanna caused to grow in the land of the Valar. The tree, memorial of the Eldar and of the light of Valinor, was planted in Minas Ithil before the house of Isildur, since he it was that had saved the fruit from destruction. You and you've got a little bit on that particular saving, don't you? Yeah, I do. I, do. I went back a little bit farther into the Akalabath and actually got the story about how Isildur actually saved that fruit. So I'm going to read that. Okay, fire away. When Amondil heard rumor of the evil purpose of Sauron, he was grieved to the heart, knowing that in the end Sauron would surely have his will. Then he spoke to Elendil and the sons of Elendil, recalling the tale of the trees of Valinor. And Isildur said no word, but went out by night, and did a deed for which he was afterwards renowned. 
for he passed alone in disguise to Armenelos and to the courts of the king, which were now forbidden to the faithful. And he came to the place of the tree, which was forbidden to all by the orders of Sauron. And the tree was watched day and night by guards in his service. At that time Nimloth was dark and bore no bloom, for it was late in the autumn, and its winter was nigh. And Isildur passed through the guards and took from the tree a fruit that hung upon it and turned to go. But the guard was aroused, and he was assailed, and fought his way out, receiving many wounds, and he escaped, and because he was disguised it was not discovered who had laid hands on the tree. But Isildur came at last hardly back to Romena, and delivered the fruit to the hands of Amandil, ere his strength failed him. Mm. Then the fruit was planted in secret, and it was blessed by Amandil, and a shoot arose from it and sprouted in the spring. And Isildur was okay too. Well, that helps, yeah. He, he survived too, as folks will know. <laughs> well, yeah, for a little while longer, at least. Yeah. Great stuff. I love that story. Did a little I mean, damage on his way out, but we'll yeah, get to yeah, that Yes, he moment. did. Yes, he did. <laughs> oh, goodness. Let's not be too hard on the man. Nope. So we get, of course, that the line fails. This is in the part that we don't read. The, the tree withers. The blood is mingled. So then we get the fact that, of course, Minas Ithil was taken, becoming Minas Morgul in uh, Third Age 2002. Mm-hmm. Osgiliath was deserted. What do we get in the text? I think we get uh, that it began to become deserted in 1640. Third Age 1640. Yeah. yeah. But it took until 2475 for it to be ruined and the stone bridge broken. Mm-hmm. Over 800 years. Pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Osgiliath has been... Has been a ruin for a long time. Yeah, really. Minas Tirith has been the place, mm-hmm. the, the the place, the chief city for a long time. Yeah, it really has. Um, interestingly, that that Osgiliath being deserted beginning in the Third Age, sixteen forty. That's also the time that Mordor was left unguarded. The Tale of Years tells us that, and that by nineteen eighty, so three hundred forty years later, the Witch King returned there and and gathered the Nazgul. And it only took them twenty years after that. That's right. To begin the siege of, of Minas Ithil. So that's a little right. timeline for you. Right. So. So Elrond, of course, explains, look, we're in danger now. Uh, the three that we're not going to talk about, that I'm wearing one, but I'm not going to tell anybody. Gandalf's wearing one. He's not going to tell anybody. I don't know why Galadriel's not here, but she's wearing the other one. In the meantime, we're all in danger because the one has been found. And uh, that's where you're going to pick up, huh? That's right. Because in that, Elrond played small part. Mm, yes, but not did. no part. No, no. Small part. Not a very successful part. Very small part. As we'll find out. Right. <laughs> His persuasive powers were lacking, yes. He ceased, but at once Boromir stood up, tall and proud before them. Give me leave, Master Elrond, said he, first to say more of Gondor, for verily from the land of Gondor I am come. And it would be well for all to know what passes there, for few I deem know of our deeds, and therefore guess little at their peril, if we should fail at last. Believe not that in the land of Gondor the blood of Numenor is spent, nor all its pride and dignity forgotten. By our valor the wild folk of the east are still restrained, and the terror of Morgul kept at bay. And thus alone are peace and freedom maintained in the lands behind us, bulwark of the west. But if the passages of the river should be won, what then? Yet that hour maybe is not now far away. The nameless enemy has arisen again. Smoke rises once more from Orad Ruin that we call Mount Doom. The power of the Black Land grows, and we are hard beset. That we call Mount Doom. They have such descriptive names for things, the men. What shall we call this place? We shall call it your land. We shall call it Mount Doom. <laughs> we shall call it this <laughs> land. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Orad Ruin that we call Mount Doom. It does kind of say it all. It really does. The Black Land. 
Now, I want to go back to Shippy yeah. and that talk about Tolkien's use of modes of speech. He points out that Boromir and Aragorn, having common descent and both being men, he says, quote, ought to talk the same way. And boy, am I trying once again to not say this like he says it. You, anytime you hear Tom, <laughs> every time you read his, his words, you then hear them in his voice. In his voice, absolutely. They ought to talk the same way, but they do not quite. Boromir's speech is, from the beginning, relatively Elrondian, one might say. He uses words like verily and deem and some inverted constructions. Later, he'll say, Loth was my father to give me leave. We'll have more to say about Boromir when we compare him to Aragorn later. Mm -hmm. That's a really good catch. I hadn't, yeah. I mean, yeah, certainly I pick up on some, some archaisms and some, you know, just some, some different yeah. patterns in Boromir's speech. But uh, to think about how Aragorn doesn't speak or, that way. Or does, but only when he's talking to Boromir's, we'll find out. And I don't want to spoil that mm -hmm. because it's really interesting mm -hmm. to see Boromir is, is really only capable of speaking this way. Aragorn, on the other hand, does have kind of a, a broader... He, he kind of shifts. He does. Yeah. Well, he we'll really get to does. that in a bit. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, of course, like you said, we get Mount Doom. We get, uh, after this, we get the loss of Athelion, which is just heartbreaking. It's such a beautiful, beautiful part of the yeah. land. We get that, well, actually, in the passage that I read, we get that bit about the blood of Numenor not being yes. spent. I mentioned that yes, that's a, a moment ago. Great and, line. You know, it's just a little mention of that, you know, that ennoblement mm -hmm. yeah. that, uh, that the men of Gondor once had. Still a little bit there, not as much, but there mm -hmm. is still Nor some. Nor all its pride and dignity forgotten, mm -hmm. rather like us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't yet mm -hmm. forgotten our very small <laughs> amounts of yeah, pride what, and dignity. What pride and dignity we have left. <laughs> I also wanted to point out something that I, that I noticed in there about by our valor, the wild folk of the East yeah, are still yeah. restrained. And he, you know, he's kind of, and we can all see Sean Bean doing this oh, yeah. in the movie too. And it is in the book too. It's interesting how much it echoes a couple of things about Aragorn though, hmm. which we will see later on. We're, we're going to see Aragorn sort of respond to this yeah. and say, look, man, you guys aren't the only ones keeping all the evil at bay. Well, we'll but Boromir here, unlike, uh, we'll unlike film Boromir, later. who's making it sound like, hey, it's us alone that's keeping all of your lands free. Here he's saying the wild folk of the East are still restrained. I don't know. Who's he talking about? Yeah, but he says, thus alone. Are That's true, thus alone. Yeah. The land behind behind us, yeah. He, he kind of makes it sound like all the danger is coming from That's the true. East and they're like yeah. the... They're the rock. It's all breaking up. Yeah. <laughs> he is a little bit. It's it's not quite as proud and uh, arrogant. Kind of. Yeah, I was going to say like like misinformed. Yes. Yes. Good way. As it as it comes across in the movie, it's but, still. Uh, but there's definitely some of this. It's oversold. On. That's for sure. <laughs> it is a bit over oversold. Yeah. And uh, we'll get Aragorn's response to this oh, yes, later on. I think it's really yes, great. Well, but first, I'm going to get to his errand, to Elrond. So I'm going to pick up a couple paragraphs later. And in this, okay. we get. The Isildur's Bane riddle. So here we go. Oh, yeah. In this evil hour, I've come on an errand over many dangerous leagues to Elrond. A hundred and ten days I have journeyed all alone. But I do not seek allies in war. The might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons, it is said. I come to ask for counsel and the unraveling of hard words. For on the eve of the sudden assault, a dream came to my brother in a troubled sleep. And afterwards, a like dream came off to him again and once to me. In that dream I thought the eastern sky grew dark, and there was a growing thunder, but in the west a pale light lingered, and out of it I heard a voice, remote but clear, crying, Seek for the sword that was broken, in Imladris it dwells. There shall be counsels taken stronger than Morgul's spells. There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, for Isildur's bane shall waken, and the halfling forth shall stand. Of these words we could understand little, and we spoke to our father, 
Denethor, Lord of Minas Tirith, wise in the lore of Gondor. This only would he say, that Imladris was of old the name among the elves of a far northern dale, where Elrond the half-elven dwelt, greatest of lawmasters. Therefore my brother, seeing how desperate was our need, was eager to heed the dream and seek for Imladris. But since the way was full of doubt and danger, I took the journey upon myself. Loth was my father to give me leave, and long have I wandered by roads forgotten, seeking the house of Elrond, of which many had heard, but few knew where it lay. There you go. Man. Four months journeying. Yeah. That's a long trip, isn't it? He left on the 4th of July and arrived on October 25th. That's a long time to be journeying. It's a long trip. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sure is. Yeah. And then we get Faramir's dream. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. He's not named here, by the way. It's just my brother. My bro. Just my brother. Right. Yeah. And worth noting that, you know, what, Faramir had the dream a couple of times, but Mm -hmm. it did actually... Come. Off, off to him. He got it several times. That's mm-hmm. true. I, I said a couple. It's really off. It came to him a, right. Many a times. bunch of times. And it came to Boromir once. There, there's something special about Faramir in that regard, isn't there? Remember, he also got that dream about the uh, the wave, the, the destruction of Numenor. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, the so-called The one that Atlantis Tolkien himself dream, had, Tolkien the, the recurring yeah. dream that mm-hmm. Tolkien had, yeah. 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 Yeah, the Numenor dream, I guess we can call right, it in the universe, right. yeah. Atalante Tolkien, dream. Yeah, Tolkien kind of referred to it as, a, uh, yeah, the Atlantis dream or the Atlantia dream. Yeah. Right. But not the Atlanta dream. Is This is not, you know. <laughs> no. No. Georgia was not on his mind. Georgia. Georgia. It's, it's interesting <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I mean, because whoever is sending this dream, mm-hmm. whether it's Irmo Lorian. That's exactly what I'm coming, thinking, yeah. You know, directly from Iluvatar or, you know, one of the Valar sending it mm-hmm. on his behalf. It's going to Faramir a bunch of times. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, the powers are really trying to get this message across to Faramir as if to say, <clears throat> hey, can you go? Hey, why don't you be the one to go? <laughs> and it, it ends up, and after he doesn't go, eventually Boromir goes. Yeah. And, uh, and they send the dream to Boromir once, I guess, to make sure somebody goes. Yeah. Which is interesting. So I think there's there's definitely something to that, to the fact oh, yeah. that, the, you know, the Valar sent this dream to mm-hmm. Faramir a bunch of times. Yeah. And only to Boromir once. To Boromir and seeing some, yeah. And you kind of wonder, you know how sometimes you might have a dream because somebody's told you about their dream? Like you kind of wonder, did Boromir just have this dream because Faramir's told him about it a hundred times? Oh, no, no. I no, don't think I, it's I'm that. kidding. I'm I think, kidding, no. I think it's a matter of, you know, they finally sent it to Boromir. Right. To they were like, look, we know Denethor's never going to send Faramir. Right. So, yeah. Um, I want to go back to Tom Shippey again. This uh-huh. time, not on modes of speech, but uh, on one of our repeating themes, fate and free okay. will. Oh, because yeah, he actually yeah. has something to say about this dream in The Road to Middle-Earth. He says, In Middle-Earth, one may say, Providence, or the Valar, sent the dream that took Boromir to Rivendell. But they sent it first and most often to Faramir, who would no doubt have been a better choice. Mm-hmm. It was human decision, or human perversity, which led to Boromir claiming the journey, with what chain of ill effects and causalities no one can tell. Mm. Luck, then, is a continuous interplay of providence and free will, a blending of so many factors that the mind cannot disentangle them. Well, that is well said. I think he's saying much better than I could have said, you know, kind of what I'm thinking as, you know, everything that happens because Boromir ends up, you know, taking this journey instead of Faramir. Right. My goodness. And that's really interesting. And yet, and yet it's still, the mission is still eventually accomplished. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, again, it's that whole thing of, Fate or free will? And the answer is yes, because it is both. 
And the mission ends up being accomplished in the way it had to be. I mean, yeah, we'll absolutely. obviously get to this near the end of the season, but you know, oh yeah, there's when you look back at it in on, in hindsight, you know, things could only have played out the way they did. I think right. you know, the fellowship, Frodo and breaking, the whole Frodo fellowship could not have tried on. to get onto the other side and go through the Emin Muil and you know the nine of them trying to get into Mordor. Yeah, no. Can you imagine Pippin like crawling up through the, the dead the marshes and crawling up the st- No, yeah, no, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> He can, he can not handle I'm not it. picking on Pippin. I can't oh, I see am. Legolas doing it either. Well, yeah. I mean, he is a strange elf. <laughs> I actually want to say something else about, uh, about Boromir taking this journey, despite the fact that the way was full of doubt and danger. Right. I think we took, we talked about this uh, last time, didn't we, mm-hmm. with Corey? We talked about the fact that, you know, it wasn't just the way that was dangerous. Actually, Rivendell itself is a dangerous place right. for a mortal That's to, exactly to right. visit. It's not just the journey, but the destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So folks go back and listen to that again. And then, of course, Denethor's decision, the fact that he's not going to send Faramir because he thinks Boromir is the one who's you know, more likely to actually get the mm-hmm. job done. Uh, we'll get to that you know, later down the line, much later uh, in terms of- And all its ramifications. Exactly. <laughs> and all the, uh, the baggage that led to that decision. On yeah, that's what I was thinking was all the baggage indeed, yeah. So I'm actually going to take the next passage. I know we normally alternate things, but I wanted to make sure that, uh, that Sean got- Bilbo's poem about Aragorn. So I'm going to actually take the next bit to, to get there. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. Well, you know, I try. And here in the house of Elrond, more shall be made clear to you, said Aragorn, standing up. He cast his sword upon the table that stood before Elrond, and the blade was in two pieces. Here is the sword that was broken, he said. And who are you, and what have you to do with Minas Tirith? asked Boromir, looking in wonder at the lean face of the ranger and his weather-stained cloak. He is Aragorn's son of Arathorn, said Elrond, and he is descended through many fathers from Isildur Elendil's son of Minas Ithil. He is the chief of the Dunedain in the north, and few are now left of that folk. Then it belongs to you and not to me at all, cried Frodo in amazement, springing to his feet as if he expected the ring to be demanded at once. It does not belong to either of us, said Aragorn, but it has been ordained that you should hold it for a while. Bring out the ring, Frodo, said Gandalf solemnly. The time has come. Hold it up, and then Boromir will understand the remainder of his riddle. Aragorn, clearly a Lionel Richie fan. Hello? Yeah, puts the sword down and says, Is it Hello? me you're looking for? <laughs> oh, gosh, he had to sing again. Oh, Sean. Come on. I mean, what are you trying to that's do to totally us, man? the song yeah. that's playing in his head. That is. That's exactly what's yeah. playing. Hello? Is it me you're looking for? I believe it is, yes. I'm your guy. Right here. Here's my sword. Boom. Uh, yeah, that's right. Right there. Yeah, boom. Bring as it. As good as a mic Bring drop. It. It's a sword yeah. drop. It's a shard drop. It's a sword drop. A broken, broken sword, sword drop. drop. Right. Boom. All right. And unlike the film version, where Legolas is the one who uh-huh. stands up and says, you know, what's the line in the movie? He is Aragorn, son of Arathorn. You owe him your allegiance. And Aragorn is like, dude, dude, wait. Hang yeah. on. Just, just chill. Sit down, Legolas. Sit down, down. Legolas, he says in Cinderin, I believe. Yeah. I can't remember. Havadad or something like that. Yeah, something like that. The book actually has Aragorn doing this, kind of standing up and saying, look, this is me, dude, right here. You know, here's my sword. This is what you're looking for. This is my sword. This proves who I am. And then Elrond sort of, after the fact, points out, yes, by the way, this is Aragorn, son of Aragorn. Exactly. Answering the, you know, the question. He is descended from his, yeah, exactly. By the way, I've always been curious in the film version, how would a Mirkwood elf know that Boromir would owe Aragorn his allegiance anyway? I mean, it's, really? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem, I mean, I suppose it could be common knowledge, but yeah, it doesn't seem like it's something he should be intimately aware of. Yeah. 
or, or even care about, frankly. That's I mean, true, like yeah. we heard from from uh, uh, who was the off that mentioned it that you know one mortal sounds very much like another. You know, oh, yeah. saying yeah. of Bilbo and Aragorn, we couldn't tell which was your part and which was his. That's true, and and Legolas is one of those Mirkwood elves who are uh, more dangerous and less wise. So right and strange and strange. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I guess they needed to give him some sort of gravitas in the film, but you know. But this is one of those classic examples, isn't it, of uh, of the difference yeah. in Aragorn uh, from the book to the movie? Yes, and uh, you know, yeah. while we you this know, is a confident man who knows his yes. identity, and he's absolutely got no problem making it clear who he is. Yeah, yeah, and yet he's still humble about it. Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's what's that's what I think is so great about it. You know, our our purpose in bringing yeah. this stuff up is not you know to bash the movies; it's just to show that no, this no, Aragorn. No is really a very different, very, like you said, confident and yet mm-hmm. still humble. He's a leader of men and uh, he knows it. Yeah, he is. So, And he knows, exactly. He knows it and he doesn't shy away from mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no questioning of, you know, oh, I don't really know if I want to do no. this. Am I, am I going to be the one who's worthy right. to lead? You know, no, there's none of that. None of that with Aragorn here. None of that. No, no hesitation, very little doubt, uh, but still a little bit of humility. You know, when he responds to Frodo, it's like, it doesn't belong to either of right. us. You can just see him kind of turning to Frodo and just saying, you know, no, I'm not, you know, it's, I'm not asking for the ring. By the way, it was Isildur claiming this ring that kind of started all this. So, no, thank <laughs> yeah, you. I'm, I'm not doing I'm that. Good. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm glad you brought it out, Frodo. This I shall have is Guild <laughs> from my great, 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 great. Thanks father. a lot. I was looking for some Guild. <laughs> I like that he says it has been ordained that you should hold it. For Where's the Ware Guild? There's the Ware Guild. Ware Guild. Where's the Guild? Ware there, Guild. There, there, Guild. There, Guild. There, Castle. Why are you talking <laughs> that way? <laughs> uh, but, um, oh, no. but, you know, he's got this bit about it's been ordained that you should hold it for a while. You know? Yes. I, I like that. We talked about this last time with Elrond talking about how everyone had been called here. And Aragorn is hinting at that. Again, here, you know, there, there's a plan here. Let's just trust it. Let's, let's kind of follow the plan. You've got it. You're meant to have it. Let's let you have it. And then, of course, Gandalf with his usual, let's get down to business. Uh, it's time to go ahead and bring out the ring and let's get going on, on what's happening. And that's where you're going to pick up. Bring out your ring. Oh, no, no. <laughs> bring out your ring. Uh, here we go. I'm not melted yet. <laughs> I feel precious. <laughs> there was a hush, and all turned their eyes on Frodo. He was shaken by a sudden shame and fear, and he felt a great reluctance to reveal the ring and a loathing of its touch. He wished he was far away. The ring gleamed and flickered as he held it up before them in his trembling hand. Behold is Sildur's bane, said Elrond. Boromir's eyes glinted as he gazed at the golden thing. The halfling, he muttered. Is then the doom of Minas Tirith come at last? But why then should we seek a broken sword? The words were not the doom of Minas Tirith, said Aragorn, but doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. For the sword that was broken is the sword of Elendil that broke beneath him when he fell. It has been treasured by his heirs when all other heirlooms were lost, for it was spoken of old among us that it should be made again when the ring, Isildur's bane, was found. Now you have seen the sword that you have sought. Mm. What would you ask? Do you wish for the house of Elendil to return to the land of Gondor? (laughs) I was not sent to beg any boon, but to seek only the meaning of a riddle, answered Boromir proudly. Yet we are hard-pressed, and the sword of Elendil would be a help beyond our hope 
if such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past. Mm. He looked again at Aragorn, and doubt was in his eyes. Frodo felt Bilbo stir impatiently at his side. Evidently, he was annoyed on his friend's behalf. Standing suddenly up, he burst out, All that is gold does not glitter, not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither, deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. Not very good, perhaps, but to the point, if you need more beyond the word of Elrond. If that was worth the journey of a hundred and ten days to hear, you had best listen to it. <clears throat> he sat down with a snort. <laughs> of course he did. It's Bilbo. Of course. That's the most hobbitish response possible. Isn't it? Yeah. I know. He's, he's all ticked off. I mean, aside ah, from the fact that it's in poetry. Ah, stand up. Poetry. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> and a <laughs> snort. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. There's some interesting little bits here that, that are worth pulling out, really. We get first, of course, Boromir's misunderstanding of what it means, the doom of Minas Tirith, instead mm. of just doom, right. like Aragorn clarifies. It's like it's like everybody needs to go back to school to learn what doom means. Yeah, there's doom and there's doom, if you understand me. Right. Yeah, this isn't, right. this isn't the bad doom. This isn't the final end of no. Minas Tirith. We talked about this last episode. This isn't, you know. Right, the... doom and deem. This is the doom that we must deem. Right. Yeah, exactly. This is fate. This is deeming. This is... This is big stuff happening. Right, exactly. What about the language? When Frodo first takes out the ring, you know, he's got this reluctance to take out mm -hmm. the ring. And, uh, oh, yeah. And yeah, a absolutely. shame and a fear and, and a loathing of its touch. I mean, this is, this is oh, definite ring at work stuff here, isn't it? Oh, no doubt. The ring itself doesn't want to be revealed. Mm -hmm. it, doesn't, it wants to stay in his pocket. Yeah. It wants to stay in its pockets as precious. <laughs> yeah. And well, and Frodo even loathes its touch too, which is interesting. I think right. there's 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 some reluctance on his part too. I think you know he doesn't mm -hmm. even want to touch. The well, ring. that might even be the ring, basically saying you don't want to touch me. Let me go. Oh, that you could know, be. keep me in your pocket. That could you be. Know? I didn't read it that way. I'm going to feel. I'm going to feel like cheap corduroy, and it's going to make you want to drop me it's, back. It's not going to. It's not going to feel good. That that. That sounds pretty on brand for the ring, but I actually just read it as uh -huh. actually being Frodo just sort of hating the oh, pull yeah. of the I'm ring sure on him already. Too. It's probably a little both, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, but it is interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then we get, of course, you know, the, the story about the Sword of Elendil, which is great. I think we all know that. Mm -hmm. and we get that awesome question that he asks. <laughs> it's a bold question. Boy, you're not kidding. Do you want your king to return? Do you want the House of Elendil to come back in oh, front boy. of all these people? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if flat out, do you want the House of Elendil to return? Do you want your king back? <laughs> and Boromir's kind of shaking by want it, I think. I mean, to come back to your place. <laughs> uh yeah let's not let's not go there the hungarian sketch come on the hungarian facebook sketch i know i know the hungarian sketch i know i know all right if i said you had a beautiful body exactly would you hold it against me? exactly i am no longer infected see that's the one i know that doesn't mean i'm gonna leave it in the show <laughs> okay <laughs> so boromir's response though super proud and super doubtful and incredibly evasive he sounds like a politician right here What's the question? Do you want your king to come back? His answer is, I'm not looking for a gift. I just want the answer to a question. And then when he does say something about it, oh, we are hard-pressed. We could use a little help. The sword would be a, a help. Not the king, the sword. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. Right? Not the king. The sword is all he wants. If, if such, such a, a thing, thing could return. Not a person could have turned out of the shadows of the That past. is a good catch. Yeah. Oh, man. 
Yeah, it's not don't the house the he king, wants, it's just the sword. But the sword would be helpful, which is interesting. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then, of course, obviously, Bilbo's poem, which we just talked about. Great stuff, though. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we talked that poem before, back when it was used to identify Strider. Mm-hmm. Back at the Prancing Pony, yeah. In, in the titular chapter, I believe, Strider. I think so, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I just, I love Bilbo's just indignation at all of this and, you know, annoyed mm-hmm. on his friend's behalf. Yeah. I love that. It's such a great Bilbo moment. It's him. And even the self-effacing humor. Oh, look, it's not a very good poem, but it really but is to the, to the point. The point. If, you, yep. if you need more than Elrond's word. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a little, you know, given a little attitude to that cheeky youngster Boromir. <laughs> that cheeky youngster. Absolutely right. Well, after he chats a little bit with Frodo about the origins of that poem, Aragorn comes back in and that's where I'm going to pick up. Aragorn smiled at him. Then he turned to Boromir again. For my part, I forgive your doubt, he said. Little do I resemble the figures of Elendil and Isildur as they stand carven in their majesty in the halls of Denethor. I am but the heir of Isildur, not Isildur himself. I have had a hard life and a long. And the leagues that lie between here and Gondor are a small part in the count of my journeys. I have crossed many mountains and many rivers and trodden many plains even into the far countries of Rune and Harad, where the stars are strange. But my home, such as I have, is in the north, for here the heirs of Valandil have ever dwelt in long line unbroken, from father unto son, for many generations. Our days have darkened, and we have dwindled, but ever the sword is passed to a new keeper. And this I will say to you, Boromir, ere I end. Lonely men are we, rangers of the wild, hunters, but hunters ever are the servants of the enemy, for they are found in many places, not in Mordor only. If Gondor, Boromir, has been a stalwart tower, we have played another part. Many evil things there that are your strong walls and bright swords do not stay. You know little of the lands beyond your bounds. Peace and freedom, do you say? The North would have known them little but for us. Fear would have destroyed them. But when dark things come from the houseless hills or creep from sunless woods, They fly from us. What roads would any dare to tread? What safety would there be in quiet lands, or in the homes of simple men at night, if the Dunedain were asleep, or were all gone to the grave? And yet less thanks have we than you. Travelers scowl at us, and countrymen give us scornful names. Strider, I am, to one fat man who lives within a day's march of foes that would freeze his heart, or lay his little town in ruin if he were not guarded ceaselessly yet we would not have it otherwise. If simple folk are free from care and fear, simple they will be, and we must be secret to keep them so. That has been the task of my kindred while the years have lengthened and the grass has grown. But now the world is changing once again. A new hour comes. Isildur's bane is found. Battle is at hand. The sword shall be reforged. I will come to Minas Tirith. Okay. Wow. Wow. That last paragraph, <laughs> reading it aloud, gave me chills. Yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. quite parataxis, right? But it's super short, choppy sentences. Yeah. World is changing. Yeah, it is. New hour comes. It's very vein, determined. Battle, sword, I'm coming. There's a lot of very short declarative sentences of here's what's going on. It here's is. what I'm going to do. It's mm-hmm. absolute. Yeah. Yeah. No room for argument here. It, it's like he's mm-hmm. finally coming to that conclusion himself right now. What was a question before is now a decisive statement. Right. It's no longer, do you want me to come? It's now, I'm not I'm waiting going. for your opinion. I'm not waiting for your yep. question. This yep. is the time. 
Absolutely. This whole passage that you just read, uh, at the risk of stepping on one of your usual lines, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Oh, there's a ton to chew up, isn't there? <laughs> but we said we'd come back to Shippy again and uh, an Aragorn speech, and I think this is a perfect place for it. Shippy points out that Aragorn actually can speak somewhat archaically, the way Boromir does, but he correctly notices that he tends to do it most when he is mm-hmm. speaking directly to Boromir, as if to impress him. He is also capable of speaking quite colloquially, as in his reference to Butterbur. <laughs> colloquially, a little bit of body shaming, I guess. Boromir <laughs> does not say things like one fat man and shows no sign of knowing anyone of Butterbur's social status. Right, right. Later, Shippy points out these differences between them remind us, in miniature, that Aragorn is also Strider and does not need to be on his dignity all the time. But at the same time that Strider is also Aragorn and can claim just as much, indeed even more authority than Boromir. Boy. And it's a really great observation about the way, the power of language. And this should not surprise yeah. us coming from Tolkien, the philologist, that right. you know, the way people speak is, is, is a mark it of identity. It identifies so much about them, right. Yeah, we talked about this. And it doesn't surprise me that Shippy's the one to pick this out either, right? No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And this is, but this is great because this, this might be the first time that we're really seeing it explained how a character Mm -hmm. uses different registers of language uh, as a tool, you know, as Mm -hmm. a, as a tool of, of statecraft or tool of leadership. Yeah. And uh, I think we see Gandalf doing that a few times as well. We'll probably catch a little bit of that. Yeah, probably so. Um, I, I can think of a few moments that make me think that way, but this is really clear. And to see Aragorn shift from talking colloquially, like like Shippy says about Butterbur, mm-hmm. and, and you know clearly Boromir wouldn't even wouldn't even use a phrase like that. Mm-hmm. So, well, and and I also you know again when when Aragorn says you know uh, one fat man who lives within a day's march of of these horrible things, I mean he's right. He's a little bitter there, isn't he? Oh, I think he's, he's ticked. Yeah, there's colloquialism, but it's also just like he's frustrated because he's been treated like this mm-hmm. by the people of Bree. Yeah. They don't recognize all the things that they've done for them, which is also mentioned in this passage. Um, yeah. You know, all the. But then he recognizes that and is like, look, it can't be any other way. Right. We would not have it otherwise. That's and right. And what a line that is. That next sentence, if simple folk are free from care and fear, simple they simple will be. they will be. And we must be. They will be naive. Them, so. They will be sheltered and protected. Mm-hmm. But that's that's our job. And we got to keep ourselves secret to make that to make that happen. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's why there's just so much there. And, and this is why this is the passage I was talking about earlier when I said, you know, Boromir has mm-hmm. his, hey, if it weren't for us, you guys would be in so much right. trouble. This is Aragorn's. And you don't know, man. You have no you idea. You don't even know. Yeah. No clue. Right. No clue at all. And I do love that. And yet, you know, he's, he's gracious to Boromir. You know, I forgive your doubt. That's true. Um, yeah. But it's funny because he, he talks about that like, oh, I don't look like these guys. But let's let's skip ahead a little bit to Book Six, Chapter Five: The Steward and the King. It's a little preview. Aragorn may be a little shaggy now. I mean, maybe he needs to trim that beard. Maybe he gets, needs to get a little haircut. But after his coronation, check this out. But when Aragorn arose, all that beheld him gazed in silence, for it seemed to them that he was revealed to them now for the first time. Tall as the sea kings of old, he stood above all that were near. Ancient of days he seemed, and yet in the flower of manhood. And wisdom sat upon his brow, and strength and healing were in his hands, and a light was about him. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's when Arwen said, yeah. see, Daddy, I told you he cleaned up nice. There you go. That's right. Okay, honey, you can marry him. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I love, we've got this reminder how far Aragorn has traveled where stars are strange. I love that. Yeah. I just love that, that expression. Yeah, that, that tells us just how far that is, doesn't it? Yeah. 
And, and I always love it when the stars are mentioned, especially when they don't have to be, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. little, little reminders that Vard is always there. Yeah. But I want to go to Appendix A to hear a little bit about some of these journeys. That appendix tells us okay. that his ways were hard and long, and he became somewhat grim to look upon unless he chanced to smile. And yet he seemed to men worthy of honor as a king that is in exile. Well, there you go. When he did not hide yeah. his true shape, for he went in many guises and won renown under many names. He rode in the host of the Rohirrim and fought for the Lord of Gondor by land and by sea. And then in the hour of victory, he passed out of the knowledge of men of the West and went alone far into the East and deep into the South, exploring the hearts of men, both evil and good, and uncovering the plots and devices of the servants of Sauron. Yeah, he's been a busy man. He has been a very busy man. And I love the, the last part of that because it's, you know, it's not just about all the battles he's fought and all the, the leaders no. he's served. It's about... No, absolutely not. He's traveled and he's studied people. He's explored the hearts yeah. of men. He's learned he's about... He's gathering intelligence. He is gathering intelligence. And I think he's also learning about... I think he's learning about people. I think he's trying to learn more yeah. to become a, you know, to become the ruler that he knows he he should be yeah. someday. The leader of men. I think you're that's cool. But you're right. right. There's also very clearly gathering intelligence yeah. about the plots and devices of Sauron's servants. Right. Exactly. Really cool stuff. And I told you that we would uh, revisit Valandil, and mm-hmm. that's where we're going to do that now because he mentions earlier that uh, the heirs of Valandil have ever dwelt in Longline Unbroken here in the north. So Valandil was Isildur's youngest son. Uh, when his wife was pregnant with him, she was sent to Rivendell before the War of the Last Alliance, and he would be born there in Second Age 3430. So he was 13 when his father and brothers died in the disaster of the Gladden Fields. He would become king at the age of 21. Uh, in third age 10, and he would rule for 239 years. That's right. And his name is Quenya for a friend of the Valar. Uh, you get mm-hmm. that indil suffix Valandil, again. Right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vala indil. And that indil suffix is the one that means friend, uh, means lover of, but specifically with the notion of friendship or love or devotion right. to something for its own sake. Right, exactly. Uh, so then, of course, like we talked about, Aragorn makes the decision. This is not an unsure man. This is not a doubting man. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a very confident, uh, certain, just yeah, he knows what is, needs to be done and he's going to do it. He knows what needs yeah. to be done and he is ready to do it. He has now made up his mind to do it. Right, exactly. Uh, and I and also like that he, he I, I just want to briefly mention that he, one of the things he points out is the sword shall be reforged, which, uh, right. remember, we've talked about the interplay of free will and prophecy, not just uh-huh. free will and fate, but free will and prophecy. You know, this is, right. it is prophesized that this will happen, but mm-hmm. I'm going to make it happen now. Yeah, it's time. So, this is the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, of course, we we get the passage next that we're not going to read. And this is when, you know, Boromir's like, what, is it really the ring? Elrond's like, we'll get to that. Bilbo, it's, you know, you want to you get to eat? You want to have some lunch? Tell your story. So <laughs> a little bit more of the, uh, the, the joking around. I love that. The little Elrond, banter back yeah. and forth. This mm-hmm. is Elrond, folks. And Bilbo's yeah. like kind of teasing with him a little bit. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so Bilbo finally comes clean, right? With, yeah, uh, absolutely. Telling the true story. He gives this little sidelong glance to Glowin. Um, right. And like, Don't uh, give me a hard time, man. And I want to point out that, you know, when this book was published in 1954, I think, you know, mm-hmm. some readers would only have been familiar with the false story because that was the version that was published in the first edition. That's of the true. Hobbit, right. That's a very good point. Yeah. So I think it's hard for us, I think, sometimes as readers of the updated version of The Hobbit to mm-hmm. remember the effect that the revised version in Lord of the Rings would have would have had on people. But I, I think this might be a subtle nod 
to those readers to go back and get an updated edition of The Hobbit to get the real story. <laughs> exactly. Since it's you still have a first here. edition, but give that thing to charity and go buy a new one. No. Yeah, no, exactly. Don't give it to charity. Exactly. Give it to us. Give it to my co-host. <laughs> there you go. Put it on my shelf. All right. Yeah. You're going to go ahead and pick up from there, right? Yes. Then Bilbo goes ahead and I'll pick up there. To some there, Bilbo's tale was wholly new and they listened with amazement while the old hobbit, actually not at all displeased, recounted his adventure with Gollum at full length. He did not omit a single riddle. He would have given also an account of his party and disappearance from the Shire if he had been allowed, but Elrond raised his hand. Well told, my friend, he said, but that is enough at this time. For the moment it suffices to know that the ring passed to Frodo, your heir. Let him now speak. Then, less willingly than Bilbo, Frodo told of all his dealings with the ring from the day that it passed into his keeping. Every step of his journey from Hobbiton to the Ford of Bruinen was questioned and considered, and everything that he could recall concerning the Black Riders was examined. At last he sat down again. Not bad, Bilbo said to him. <laughs> you would have made a good story of it if they hadn't kept on interrupting. I tried to make a few notes, but we shall have to go over it all again together sometime if I am to write it up. There are whole chapters of stuff before you ever got here. Yes, it made quite a long tale, answered Frodo. But the story still does not seem complete to me. I still want to know a good deal, especially about Gandalf. Ah, uh, we always want to know about Gandalf. I mean, really, don't we? He's, he's always the mysterious guy with the mysterious stuff happening, so. Always coming and going and going and coming. I suppose there's not a lot here to really discuss, but it was definitely a section we wanted to, to read. I, the question about the Black Riders, I think, is something I wanted to highlight, right? That's really important stuff. Yeah. I think it's worth pointing out Frodo's relative unwillingness to talk. Oh, yeah. He doesn't really want to talk about this. I think this is more of the ring at work. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. it's, it's, you know, we talked more about, we talked a moment ago about that, that shame and that reluctance to bring out the ring. And I think he's and, and reluctant think, to talk about the ring. Yeah, I think so. I think there's also a little bit of that, um, you know, you know, when he first woke up and he realized, you know, Gandalf was teasing him about the absurd things he'd done and Frodo was, mm -hmm. ah, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not going to argue. You're right. Uh, I made some really poor decisions. And I think he realized his choices were going to get, uh, you know, really carefully looked at. Criticized. His actions were going to be yeah. dissected and everything mm -hmm. that he did. And, you know, he didn't want to talk about, you know, cow jumped over the moon and he did not want to go there, you know. Uh, that was yeah. a pretty big, stupid mix up and he shouldn't have done it and he knows it. So I don't think he wanted to talk about that, but uh, at least we didn't have to hear it. That's true. Time. Yeah. Nobody wants to have to relive their, you know, when they realize they've, they've made mistakes, yeah. they don't want to have to relive Nobody that wants to point that out too. that they were at a party wearing a lampshade, you know, and, no. and doing karaoke to, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know because I've never done that. I'm just saying. No, of course. <laughs> of course not. not. At, I don't. You know, not in an audience that's a lot like like a panel job interview. You know? No. <laughs> I mean, he's not actually interviewing no. for the position of ring bearer here, but the, well, he is the, the stature of the people. That, he, he is the incumbent. So, that's yes. true. That is true. And just the stature of the people that he's oh, talking, like all these wise and powerful people, who've been like, around for thousands oh, of man, years. I, yeah. Do I have to explain to the son of Arendel why I put the ring on at Weathertop? <laughs> oh, man, it's not going to go well. Oh, no, it's not going to go well. Not going to go well at all. I also like, though, Bilbo's response, uh, this kind of meta stuff. Oh, the book, yeah. huh? Very meta, this idea that it made a good story or would have if it weren't right. for the interruptions. Whole chapters, and but, I took notes. Much and... like this podcast, actually. <laughs> um, it would have made a good story you know, if we hadn't it, kept interrupting each other. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
this idea of whole chapters of stuff before we ever got here. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we've yeah, just read we've whole just read a whole stuff. season on um, it. That's exactly right. This is all a reference to the frame narrative and the idea that you know this story that Bilbo is sort of threatening to write or promising to write, however you look at it, is the book that we're reading, right? Yeah, absolutely. Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, someone actually recently suggested to me by email mm-hmm. or on Facebook, I can't remember, but somebody suggested that uh, Bilbo must have written book one because that's all the stuff that Frodo would have told him at Rivendell. Interesting. And, and it then, certainly would go with the style changes we've talked about. Exactly. Oh. That's exactly it because we've been talking about that difference in tone. Right, that tone. And how book one is more like The Hobbit. Yep. And I thought that was a really cool observation. I can't recall who said it. I'll, I'll try yeah. and I'll try yeah, that, and that's that worthy of a hat tip for, for sure. All right. Yeah. Well, now that they've uh, shared their tale, we're hoping that they're going to get something to eat. I, I think Elrond just lied to Bilbo, basically. Tell your story, then we can get something to eat. But that isn't what happens next. They don't get lunch and, and a nice pie. They, they have to move no. on to Galdor's story. So, all right, I'm going to go ahead and pick up there. Galdor of the Havens, who sat nearby, overheard him. You speak for me also, he cried. And turning to Elrond, he said, The wise may have good reason to believe that the halfling's trove is indeed the great ring of long debate, unlikely though that may seem to those who know less. But may we not hear the proofs? And I would ask this also. What of Saruman? He is learned in the lore of the rings, yet he is not among us. What is his counsel, if he knows the things that we have heard? The questions that you ask, Galdor, are bound together, said Elrond. I had not overlooked them, and they shall be answered. But these things it is the part of Gandalf to make clear, and I call upon him last, for it is the place of honor, and in all this matter he has been the chief. Some, Galdor, said Gandalf, would think the tidings of Glowen and the pursuit of Frodo proof enough. The halfling's trove is a thing of great worth to the enemy, yet it is a ring. What then? The nine the Nazgul keep, the seven are taken or destroyed. At this, Glowen stirred, but did not speak. The three we know of. What, then, is this one that he desires so much? We'll actually stop there uh, for now, because there's so much Before we move on, there is a lot to say there, starting Mm -hmm. with Elrond as committee chair (laughs) and, uh, and his very effective use of, let's hold all questions until the end, Galdor. Yeah. I like that a lot. That really is what that is. Let's put that in the parking lot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're going to table that for later. Yeah, exactly. Please keep your hands down. You can ask questions at the end. Gandalf's next. Yeah. It's his spot in the presentation. Yeah. Let's load his PowerPoint. Right. All right, Gandalf, you're next. Exactly. Yeah, Gandalf's <laughs> got the next few slides. Oh, goodness. Who wants to drive the webinar? Oh, um, man. I'm having flashbacks yep. of all the bad business meetings I used to have before I, before I was self-employed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot more lore here. We've gotten a whole lot of lore already, and we're yeah. going to get more. Yeah. Three more episodes of lore even after this. That's right. <laughs> Quite a bit. Yep. Quite a bit. Hope uh, y'all like lore. To... Hope y'all like lore, because <laughs> get... this is a massive lore, five episode. Lore, lore, lore. We've got lore We've here. We've got lore. It's a Bell lore Rock. dump. It is a lore dump mm-hmm. for five episodes. <laughs> it's a whole lot of lore. That's right. I want to go back to Tom Shippey. Because, uh, because Tom Shippey has Tom some Shippey, things to say. Right, but exactly. Because it's Tom Shippey, and he, as always, has interesting things to say. Um, here about Gandalf, going back to this uh, really cool concept of these different modes of speech. But with Gandalf, it's it's less about uh, his words and more about the speakers whom he directly quotes. Oh, yeah. So we'll be talking about some of those as they come up. Absolutely. That's good stuff. 
So Galdor's questions actually are pretty valid, right? What is the evidence? What are the proofs? And hey, I've heard this Saruman guy knows a lot about rings. What does he have to say? Mm-hmm. Now we're on segues straight to Gandalf's introduction. And Gandalf begins, as he usually does, straight to business. Starts out with that deductive reasoning. Look, we know it's a thing of great worth. We know it's a ring. We know it's not one of the nine. And we know it's not one of the seven. And we know it's not one of the three, which we know of, but aren't going to talk about. <laughs> which right. always amazes me. But yeah, never mind. Let's move past the three. Let's We're move not past talk the, about three. the three. We're not going to. First rule of the three is don't talk about the three. Don't talk about the three. Yeah. Didn't we discuss with Corey last time the seven that Gandalf doesn't really know for sure that the seven are all taken or destroyed? He's kind of he's kind of making an educated guess there. Yeah, he wouldn't know. That's true. That's right. That was what we talked about with Corey. He didn't like yeah. go around and talk to all the dragons. Excuse me, Mr. Dragon. Excuse me. You have you eaten any rings lately? Yeah. Have you yeah. eaten any rings? Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, we can, we can assume that it's accurate. But we just, we don't know for sure. Gandalf doesn't know for sure. But no, I mean, right. I guess the idea is that they're all accounted for. One way or the, the other. They're, the, the, yeah, yeah this, the seven houses of the dwarves don't have them. Right. So I guess that's the most important They're either thing. taken or they are in dragon hordes or in dragons, one or the other. Yeah. Right. This is probably a good place to point out uh, some word nerdery that we've got from Hammond Always. and Skull. That I, I, Pretty yeah, much any time in our show is a good time to point out word nerdery. Oh, well, yeah. You don't have to tell me. Um, since this is the first time that we see the mention of the name Nazgul, which I know is hard to believe because we've been saying it since the very beginning, just because we know who they are. Um, but this is the first time that the name Nazgul appears in the text. And Hammond and Skull do have some cool word nerdery here. They say, in drafts to a letter to a Mr. Rang, which is published as number 297 in Carpenter's collection, mm-hmm. Tolkien talks about this word Nazg and explains that it is the word for ring in the black speech. He goes on to say that he intended this to be evocable, that's a word, especially with reference to form rather than meaning, uh, as distinct in style and phonetic content from words of the same meaning in Elvish or in other real languages that are most familiar. So basically, he's trying to make this word sound unfamiliar in the context of a native English speaker or um, someone who's been reading all the Elvish names in this book. He then observes that it remains remarkable that Nask, mm-hmm. that's N-A-S-C, is the word for ring in Gaelic. It also fits well in meaning, since it also means, and probably originally meant, a bond, and can be used for an obligation. Mm. He says that he was not, at the time of making use of this word, aware of borrowing, but acknowledges that it was probable, but by no means certain, that the name is nonetheless an echo. Although to be clear, he's not a fan. He says that, I have no liking at all for Gaelic from Old Irish downwards as a language. But it is, of course, of great historical and philological interest, (laughs) Uh, and I have at various times studied it, with, alas, very little success. Well, if you don't like it, there's a good reason that you you and me both, Professor. (laughs) And when I say you and me both, I mean no success at studying. I was going to say, I don't know that you know enough about Gaelic to to decide whether you like it. No, but I love the sound of it. I will say that. I was going to say, I do too. Actually, I just know nothing of the language. Right. Right. Moving back to the professor's uh, quote here, <laughs> it is thus probable that Nas is actually derived from it, and this short, hard, and clear vocable, sticking out from what seems to me an unloving alien, a mushy language, became lodged in some corner of my linguistic memory. Tell us what you really think, professor. I, mean, I know, right? One of those, Call, I don't like words. it. It's mushy. Yeah. <laughs> I think Gaelic sounds beautiful, professor. I know, but, it's musical know, and lovely. But I don't but really know it. So. I don't know language well enough to know. Oh, goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Hammond and Skull also point out this is the only time where it seems to be suggested that the Nazgul hold their own rings, right? 
the nine, the Nazgul keep. But we have a few other occurrences that make it seem like this is really uh, an error or an oversight. We have the nine he has gathered to himself, talking about Sauron, in the shadow of the mm-hmm. past. We have the fact that the Nazgul, quote, were entirely enslaved to their nine rings, which he now himself held, again, talking about mm-hmm. Sauron. And then we have a letter, number 264, in which Tolkien writes that Sauron held the nine rings, giving him primary control of the wills of the Nazgul. So, And folks who listened to yeah. last season may remember me getting tripped up on this passage uh-huh. and thinking that the, nine, that the nine actually had their own right. uh, had their own rings. And it's understandable yeah. why you'd think that. But, you know, when you look at the, the, the collection of evidence, it seems clear Sauron has them. So. Yeah. And, and this is just a quote by Gandalf. Right. Gandalf is not. 100% accurate on everything he Clearly says, as not. much as we'd like him to mm-hmm. be. Yep. So then going on to this passage that we're not going to read, uh, we get mm-hmm. this, you know, this mention of this wide gap in time and in knowledge, yeah. right? Between right. between when it was lost in the river and, and you know, when Bilbo found it under the mountain. Uh-huh. And waste of time. I think a wide waste of time is such a powerful way of saying that. I agree. But I think that's as good a time as any for me to go ahead and pick up with the following paragraph. Yeah. Some here will remember that many years ago I myself dared to pass the doors of the necromancer in Dol Guldur, and secretly explored his ways, and found thus that our fears were true. He was none other than Sauron, our enemy of old, at length taking shape and power again. Some too will remember also that Saruman dissuaded us from open deeds against him, and for long we watched him only. Yet at last, as his shadow grew, Saruman yielded and the council put forth its strength and drove the evil out of Mirkwood. And that was in the very year of the finding of this ring. A strange chance, if chance it was. Mm-hmm. But we were too late, as Elrond foresaw. Sauron also had watched us, and had long prepared against our stroke, governing Mordor from afar through Minas Morgul, where his nine servants dwelt, until all was ready. Then he gave way before us, but only feigned to flee and soon after came to the dark tower and openly declared himself. Then, for the last time, the council met, for now we learned that he was seeking ever more eagerly for the one. We feared then that he had some news of it that we knew nothing of, but Saruman said nay, and repeated what he had said to us before, that the one would never again be found in Middle-earth. At the worst, said he, our enemy knows that we have it not, and that it still is lost. But what was lost may yet be found, he thinks. Fear not, his hope will cheat him. Have I not earnestly studied this matter? Into Anduin the Great it fell, and long ago, while Sauron slept, it was rolled down the river to the sea. There let it lie until the end. Or let it lie until I find it, but, you know, we'll get to that. (laughs) Sauron, you know. Oh, goodness. In case you weren't sure, he had an ulterior motive. Right, and, right. Uh, he wasn't really trying to pull it. anything yeah. off here. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it, guys. It's fine. Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's just fine. It's gone down the river. Let it lie. Let it lie. Let it lie. That's all Let I'm it saying. Lie. Anyway. So let's get a little timeline action here. The visit was in Third Age 2850. The White Council wouldn't attack until 2941, so almost 100 years later. And now it's 3018, mm. so it's another, you know, almost 80 years after the, uh, the attack. But mm-hmm. interestingly, the Tale of Years says that Gandalf also visited much earlier, in Third Age 2063, almost 800 years before he visited it this time. This wow. Was, wow. Yeah. Wow. I was like, are you kidding me? It was that big of a gap. That was when the wise had feared that the power of Dol Guldur might have been Sauron. 
But that time, Sauron retreated and hid in the east. And that's when the watchful mm -hmm. peace began. And the Nazgul remained quiet in Minas Morgul, which they had taken over uh, about 60 years earlier in Third Age 2002, like we mentioned earlier. Interesting right. timeline. When you look at it from that, kind of get yeah. that 30,000 foot view, and you, you start to see that uh, the, the movements of Sauron and the Nazgul, and you realize mm -hmm. just how long this took. Yeah. Yeah. How long they were watching and waiting. How mm -hmm. long this foreboding sense of yeah. things getting worse was, uh, was with the wise. Yeah. Every yeah. step he takes, every move he makes, mm -hmm. they'll be watching him. They'd be watching him. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Notice, though, I did not make the error of actually singing that song. I just want that noted no. for the record, sir. No. We also didn't compare the singer of that song to a certain sort. No, no, we did not. Gordon Sumner on the wall, glowing blue. I just, I still imagine that. I think it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> so... Whenever you talk about him glowing blue, I'm just imagining that blue armor he wore in Dune. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Great less said about that movie, the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Sadly. true. So we get the White Council acting. That would be the White Council, I should say, not the Council of Elrond acting in this case when, when Gandalf right. says that. So we're talking about who's in that. That's going to no, be. It's, it's still far too early in the Council of Elrond for any action to take <laughs> well, place. Well, you're not kidding. Just, they can't even make a decision, let alone take action. So who's in the White Council, yeah. right? We got Elrond, Gandalf, Galadriel, Saruman. Is is Radagast part of the White Council? I would imagine he is. I don't think he is no. because when Gandalf when Gandalf yeah, mentions right. him in the next chapter, right. he says he hasn't seen him in a long time. Yeah. I think it's mentioned that Círdan was part of it. Oh, that or would make was sense. Occasionally part of it. Yeah. But uh, I can't remember where I saw. We that. don't really have a definitive um, list of members of the White Council, do we? No. No. No, we don't. Well, whoever whoever it was, they failed to defeat Sauron. So good on them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. thanks a lot. What about Celeborn? Was Celeborn? I, well, I Galadriel was. was. Maybe he's just, you know, home right. watching the kids. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, he isn't, he isn't as powerful taking as minutes. Galadriel by any stretch of the imagination. No. He's probably just taking the minutes. Taking the minutes. Bringing the there coffee. There you go. <laughs> Would you like some cold water, sir? Bring, bring in the Miravore, <laughs> you know. There you go. But yes, as you said, regardless of who's on the it committee roster, wasn't enough, they failed right, to defeat exactly. Sauron. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Apparently, they didn't have nuclear Galadriel. No, they needed nuclear Galadriel. Everybody needs nuclear Galadriel. Yeah. No, no. For those yeah. who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the Jackson film adaptations that uh, actually showed the attack. Showed them. Yeah. It was a very unfortunate thing. Yeah. The whole film that was. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> then we get uh, Saruman's conclusion, like we talked about. Whack. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the Peter Jackson Hobbit film spinata put next to the Feanor Oh, How did I know that was coming? It's not quite up on the Feanor level, let's be honest. I mean, we may beat them up pretty bad, but they're not Feanor. No, not nearly. There's a difference between bad and evil. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to I don't want to credit those films as being intentionally evil. Just bad. No, anyway. I know. Oh, goodness. Mistakes let's were made. Just put let's it just put it that Absolutely. Way. Well, folks, there are mis many mistakes in this episode, uh, but we'll, we'll address them as we may. For now, though, that does wrap up our discussion on the second part of the Council of Elrond, but we are not done yet. We've got Barlaman's bag coming your way in just a minute. There's some great questions tonight. And even when that's done, the talk continues all night long at the Prancing Pony. That's right. We've always got lots of discussion happening in our social media spaces. At our common room on Facebook, you'll find comments, questions, corrections, and more on... Corrections even when we don't ask for them, by the way. I would just make that clear. Uh -huh. Yes. 
And I shouldn't say corrections on no. every episode. There's, there are a few episodes that don't require a, a, corrections, a, surprisingly. Yeah, believe it or not. There's an assortment of those various kinds of commentary yes, on right. every episode, as well as updates from us mm. throughout the week, uh, outtakes, fun stuff exactly. like that. Just look for the Prancing Pony podcast on Facebook and click the like and follow buttons. You know, I should I should actually expand on that. Please do click both like and follow. I've heard from people who are like, hey, I didn't see this post. And it turns out they like our page but didn't follow it. You have to do both Facebook's mm-hmm. algorithms. Even then, you're still not going to see every post, unfortunately. And folks, we do have right. another common room on Reddit now. You can find great discussions there at uh, r slash prancingponypod. I believe we're already up to 350 or so members there. And we they are. are very active. So it's a great place to have conversations. After only a few weeks, it's been a like, fantastic place weeks, to hang yeah. out. Yep. It really is. And of course, as always, you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram with the handle at prancingponypod. So follow us wherever you happen to be. And if you like us, please share us on Facebook, on Twitter, Reddit, or anywhere you can find Tolkien fans. And if you really want to let the world know your feelings about us, especially if they're good feelings, give us a review well, on iTunes. only if they're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we'll take any feedback, but we really like the good ones. The more reviews we have, the more visible our podcast is, which helps others find us and this great community of Tolkien fans we've built together with your help. That is true. And folks, if you would like access to exclusive Patreon content like postscripts, quarterly specials, PPP swag, and I don't know, a Discord live episode recording like a number of people are listening to right now. Right now as we speak. Then you're going to want to check out patreon.com slash prancingponypod to find out how you can join the Fellowship of the Podcast. Now, indeed, I think it's time, since we have a number of good questions in the bag, to see what Barnuman has for us. Sean. Okay. We are going to start with a follow-up from two listeners on episode 137. Now, in the intro to that episode, around the 15-minute mark, Alan and I were recapping our favorite memories from Tolkien 2019, and I mentioned walking down the street and being recognized by our voices by a young couple in front of us who stopped and turned around and asked us if we were the guys from the Prancing Pony podcast. I couldn't remember their names. Alan, yeah. you thought they were on their honeymoon, but that was really all we could remember about that you know, was. Yeah. They actually were. Well, I am so happy to report we actually heard from them. Yay! Molly from Oregon and her That's newlywed right. husband, Joe. Yeah, yep. yep. Molly and Joe. So Molly came forward to identify herself and her husband, Joe, that very same day. She actually wrote in and said, I have not actually listened to this week's episode yet. <laughs> this is how quickly she <laughs> sent it. But my husband sent me a text saying that I should email you to tell you that was us. And we were, in fact, on our honeymoon. Yay. I assume this will make sense when I listen to this week's episode, but I'm still working through the Tolkien 2019 <laughs> Don't assume episode. anything when it comes to us. <laughs> she went on to say, it was such a delight to meet you guys at the conference, especially for me. I've been listening for a couple of years now, and Joe is likely sick of me talking about you, but he puts up with it anyway. <laughs> Good man. I was on my weekly commute from Eugene to Reedsport when you first mentioned the conference, and I called him from the car and asked if we could go to Birmingham for our honeymoon. Wow. So you are the reason that we went to the UK and amazing places like Stonehenge, Peel Castle, Liverpool, and the rest. Oh. I love your jokes and references, even the groan-worthy ones, and I look forward to each week's episode and the postscripts that follow. Yeah. Thank you so much, Molly. That's awesome. Awesome to hear. I um, love that they went to and... Liverpool. I wonder if she was a singer in the band. Sorry, it was a Beatles what? reference, a really obscure one. Molly oh, wow. was a singer in the band. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh yeah. Life goes on. Yeah. <laughs> that's so not, didn't get it. That's, that's not even an obscure reference. I don't know why I didn't get it. Cause I, I, was I missing something? I, or, that song. Well, I mean, I was trying. No, no, you're totally right. I just <laughs> didn't get it. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay, that's all right. Oh, man. All right, man. 
How did I not get an Obla D Obla Da reference? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> but anyway, well, <laughs> she goes into a question, which we'll get to in a moment. But I just want to uh. skip ahead to the closing where she says, thank you for being willing to stick with this project that has grown far past your expectations and for creating such a wondrous thing. Wow. Well, yeah. Thank you, Molly. Very kind. Thank you, Molly, for listening and for sharing us with your husband, Joe. It was really great to meet you both in Birmingham. We are thrilled to know that our show helped you pick such an amazing place to celebrate your honeymoon. Absolutely. 100% co-signed. It was great meeting you both and a unique experience for me. Obviously, One I keep talking I about. I keep talking about how we were just walking yeah. back from the store and we're talking about yeah, like bottled too. water and these two people turn around yeah. and go, are you the Prancing Pony podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just truly, us. truly an amazing experience. And so I just wanted to say thank you both for, yeah. for stopping to say hello. Absolutely. I hope you guys had a wonderful time on what sounds like a completely amazing honeymoon. And I promise that I will not forget your names again, Molly and Joe. So thank you guys. <laughs> Especially now after the Obladi reference, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Well, now on to Molly's question. Well, actually, it's Joe's question. Okay. Molly says it's not a very serious one, but a fun one, I think. After the attack on the prancing pony that ruins several good bolsters and give the hobbits another dose of hard reality, <laughs> we are told what comes of the ponies that flee the inn and make their way to Tom Bombadil. Joe's question is why we get this lengthy explanation of what happens to the ponies. Hmm. Why is what happens to the ponies so important as to warrant that much detail of their futures? Molly says, I myself find it a lovely interlude, but it is a strange one. Indeed, it is a little bit strange, but we covered that in episode 127. We talked about how the text pauses the action to tell us Mary's ponies had escaped altogether, and eventually, having a good deal of sense, they made their way to the downs in search of Fatty Lumpkin. So they came under the care of Tom Bombadil for a while and were well off. But when news of the events at Bree came to Tom's ears, he sent them to Mr. Butterbur, who thus got five good beasts at a very fair price. They had to work harder in Bree, but Bob treated them well, so on the whole they were lucky. They missed a dark and dangerous journey. But they never came to Rivendell. And we talked mm. about how that last line just speaks volumes. The ponies were lucky, they ended up safe, but they never came to Rivendell, which would have been mm. an amazing place, really. I mean, Pony Heaven, which is very different from the glue factory, let's just be clear. Um, Aw. <laughs> sorry. Yes, very different. Thank sorry, you. Trigger. Uh, but we never talked about this little fast forward moment feeling out of place, which honestly is because it probably didn't seem to us to be out of place at the time, did it? No, I, I agree. Yeah, I think this is probably just another example of that different tone of book one compared to book two and the rest of The Lord of the Rings. A passage like this would never fit in with the later story, I don't think. But in book one, it doesn't really feel all that out of place at all. You know, after the, the sentient fox and all of Tom Bombadil's silly names for the ponies. Sharp ears, wise nose, swish tail. <laughs> and his own fatty lumpkin who's named in the passage. Mm -hmm. But yeah, honestly, I think it's mostly just a case of different tone. Yeah. It, it's kind of like the narrator of The Hobbit slipping back in again. And it seems very much in line with passages that you get from The Hobbit, like uh, the whole bit about if you have ever seen a dragon in a pinch, you will realize that this was only poetical exaggeration applied to any Hobbit. You know, that whole right, thing right. that's followed by that complete digression on Bulwer <laughs> took. And the the brilliant digression, right. Or from the very beginning of the book where he skips ahead and says, you will see whether he gained anything in the end. Right. Very much in line with those kinds of things. It is. It's definitely a tone thing. But I have to say, it also seems like a mini U catastrophe here, maybe even a, a micro U catastrophe. It's even smaller in scale to mm. show us that Barnumon is rewarded for his generosity in the end by getting those five good ponies for the fair price, the price that he had to pay for the ponies that got stolen. 
Uh, they oh, got yeah. returned, and so he got that got value for them. The fact that Tom is involved is what really should give us a clue that there is a, a little you catastrophe here. So, yeah, that's that's good a good point. A little, little bit of a little softening of the blow, you know. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Things are going to turn out okay. Yeah. A little Middle Earth karma for Butterbur there. There you uh, go. Now, now our next question comes to us from Tracy G, who sent us a handful of questions on the Council of Elrond that we'll cover as we can over the next few episodes. This one is: Could we get some word nerdery? Well, she came to the right source. Could yes, we get indeed. the answers? Yes. On how Tolkien uses the word "wise." The "wise" is a phrase thrown around a lot. But then we also hear Gandalf refer to Sauron as wise, for he is very mm. wise and weighs all things to a nicety in the scales of his malice. What say you, our resident word nerd, John? Well, okay, let's start with the word wise itself. Uh, the Oxford English Dictionary offers a few definitions of it, uh, the first three of which I think are useful to the discussion here. So the first definition is having or exercising sound judgment or discernment, characterized by good sense and prudence as opposed to foolish. The second one is having practical understanding and ability, skillful mm -hmm. or clever. Right. The third is having knowledge, well-informed, instructed, or learned. Now, despite the fact that we usually think of wisdom as something different from intelligence, and every D&D &D player knows that's true, <laughs> etymologically— and we have neither, by the way. Let's just make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we have played a lot of D&D, &D, so we know We're, We've min-maxed, and I don't know, what did you end up maxing out? Because it wasn't wisdom or intelligence. Yeah. No, no. Charisma. Charisma, <laughs> man. We maxed out Probably charisma. dexterity, you know. There I wanted you go. to be like the I was always the thief. <laughs> Were you? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to digress. There, only but, in D and D. I was only ever a thief in D and D. I want to put that out there. Okay. That is not make a soundbite I want out there in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, I might just pull that out and make it a, a little standalone sound clip. You're just going to cut Tonight, that in with big something else. from Sean Marquez. What did you do? How did you spend your weekends in high school, Sean? I was the thief. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to the word wise. Yes. Despite the fact that we usually think of wisdom and intelligence as two different things, etymologically, the word wise is related to Germanic words for knowledge and intelligence, words like wit and also some words in German. And also it's related to words for knowledge and sight, believe it or not. In hmm. Greek and Latin and Sanskrit and other Indo-European languages, it's a really old Indo-European root. Uh, Tolkien actually uses the word wise both ways. He uses it to refer to, let's say, both D&D &D stats, to wisdom and intelligence. One of our favorite definitions in the Silmarillion, which we've talked about before, is in the index, where Noldor is defined as the wise, but wise in the sense of possessing knowledge, not in the sense of, of possessing sagacity or sound judgment. Now, that hints mm -hmm. at both senses and tells us that although Noldor means wise, it really means more what we would call intelligence or knowledge more than wisdom. Maybe, uh, right. you know, not street smarts, but just smart. Book smart. Exactly. Now, I'm also remembering the moment in The Return of the King when Denethor tells Gandalf, you are wise, maybe, Mithrandir, yet with all your subtleties, you have not all wisdom. Now, that's Denethor telling Gandalf that although he may be wise, he really is more subtle in the sense of clever or intelligent. Yeah, it is. And those two meanings are inherent in the word wizard itself, uh -huh. which is related to the words wise and, and wit. True. In letter number 156 to Father Robert Murray, Tolkien said, the Astari are translated wizards because of the connection of wizard with wise and so with witting and knowing. Mm. But the Quenya word Istari or singular Istar actually means those who know it, rather than those who are wise. In the essay on the Astari in Unfinished Tales, Tolkien says, 
The translation, though suitable in its relation to wise and other ancient words of knowing, similar to that of Istar in Quenya, is not perhaps happy, since the Heren Istarion, or Order of Wizards, was quite distinct from wizards and magicians of later legend. Mm -hmm. So maybe Tolkien is hitting closer to home when he calls the wizards the wise, which he sometimes does. Mm -hmm. Now, more commonly, he uses the wise to mean the wizards plus some more, like the great elf lords, Elrond, Galadriel, Celeborn, Círdan, Glorfindel, and so on. Yeah. But at other times, Tolkien just uses the word wise. Now, this is in lowercase. When he's talking about the wise, it's capitalized. But he might mm -hmm. use the word wise to describe individual characters. And he can use it in both senses. Sometimes it's the wisdom sense. Sometimes it's the intelligence sense. Gollum calls Frodo wise. Gandalf describes the people of Gondor as a good and wise folk. Yeah, near the end, actually, Saruman calls Frodo wise and cruel. Mm. So calling somebody wise isn't necessarily a good thing. Mm -hmm. Although, from our perspective, Frodo is certainly wise in a good way, but that's not what Saruman means no, when he says no, it. No, not at all. I think that's how Gandalf can use the word wise to describe Sauron, who does in fact have knowledge and intelligence, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Just like when he calls Sauron, Sauron the Great, which we discussed oh, yeah. in the episodes yeah, ago. Yeah, that was an interesting one. Yeah, he, he does that. He doesn't necessarily mean it in a good way. No. It's kind of the same thing here. Mm -hmm. Sauron is wise. He does have knowledge. Right. But Gandalf isn't saying that he's wise in a good way. Right, so, exactly. So There you go. There you go, indeed. Do we have time for one more? I think we do. I think we do. The last one we've got is a quick one. Uh, Shai in Israel asked, Except for Boromir, who came to Rivendell by chance and not summoned by Elrond, all the others came or arrived exactly when Frodo came to Rivendell. Isn't that too much of a coincidence? They all came from far places in Middle-earth, the Grey Havens, the Lonely Mountain, Mirkwood, and Boromir rode from Gondor more than 100 days to Rivendell. Now, Shai asked this a few weeks ago, so he could mm -hmm. not have heard last week's episode with Corey Olson, in which we did basically discuss this. Unless he had a time machine there, and a private link to our Zencaster room. Right, <laughs> right. But we did talk about it there, didn't we? Mm -hmm. We did. Uh, and although it's easy to forget this, Elrond didn't summon the others. He didn't summon Legolas or Gimli and Glowen or Galdor and the others. In fact, he tells them at the start of the council, that is the purpose for which you are called hither. Called, I say, though I have not called you to me, strangers from distant lands. You have come and are here met in this very nick of time, by chance as it may seem, yet it is not so. Believe rather that it is so ordered that we, who sit here, and none others, must now find counsel for the peril of the world. That's right. Yeah, yeah we did talk about this use of, of called, and I think Corey actually called this providence, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We might say it's the hand of Iluvatar or the divine plan, right. but all of them, including Boromir, mm -hmm. who was led by the dream that he and Faramir had, as we were discussing earlier, all of them were called there. Right, in one way or another, but not called by with, Elrond. Almost with a capital C. Yeah. Not literally a capital C, but you can imagine it with a capital C. Exactly. So for more on this, you're going to want to go back to last week's episode 142 when we talked about this uh, at length with Corey Olson. Mm -hmm. Well, folks, that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. Now, please be sure to join us again next week when Gandalf commits a serious breach of etiquette. Well, it can't be anything worse than we've done on this show, though. Oh, no. Heavens no, it won't be anything worse than that. <laughs> As always, folks, we want to thank each of you for listening, and we want to give a very special thank you to our growing list of patrons at the Kirdan's Contribution Tier. DeMay in Alaska, James in Virginia, Tamsin in Minnesota, Emily in Texas, Chad in Texas, Lance in New Jersey, Paul in Colorado, Jerry in Texas, Bruce in California, and Mario in Utah. Thank you all so very much. 
Wow, that list really is growing. Yeah. Thank you all so much. And folks, make sure you don't miss a single episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Subscribe to the show through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, and, well, most of all, your brother's mysterious prophetic dreams to Barliman at theprancingponypodcast.com. <laughs> Only the prophetic ones, please. That's going to flood our inbox, I'm telling you. Yeah, 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 I don't want, yeah. <laughs> Let's leave that there. And folks, you know Barlaman's not always punctual with the mail, but we will get back to you as soon as we can. And your question or comment may be featured on an upcoming show. (laughs) It took me that long to get what you were implying. Yeah, I don't want to know your brother's mysterious dreams unless they are prophetic. Just the prophetic mysterious dreams. Yes, yes. Well, folks, this has been, as it always is, far too short a time to spend among such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends. (laughs) 